This is Jordan Stewart, and you're listening to Sucker Sub. Go listen. I'm Banter. Hey, this is Rob Stone from Fox Sports. You are listening to the Soccer Subs Podcast. Now pay me. Pay me in cash, boys. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for attending the Soccer Subs Podcast, the number one podcast covering soccer in New York City and all over the world. Let's give it up for Ronnie. Let's give it up for Christian. And let's give it up for you, the Soccer yeah. Subs Podcast. The Soccer Subs Podcast. It's game on. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast, episode 26. My name is Ronnie. I am your host. I'm joined here by my two Soccer Subs co-hosts, Christian and Eric. We are missing our boy Hugh today. Fellas, how you guys doing? It's been two weeks since I last saw you guys. I was on the West Coast. I missed you guys. I missed a big outing. How you guys doing? Oh, man. Uh, it's been a devastating weekend for me, but uh, I'm really happy to be here, uh, joined by you guys, by Eric and you, Ron, of course. I'm going to miss Hugh. This one's for you, baby Hugh. Episode 26, the number of Riyad Mahrez, the finalists of the Champions League this weekend. And yeah, the amount of times I grabbed my hair on so many times on that final. Thank you guys for joining the Soccer Subs Podcast. Oh man, I'm I'm doing well. You know, I, I know many of you saw we did have a little outing, the soccer subs family. Still a little sore about that. You know, I had a devastating injury that may leave me out for a couple of months, but you know, I had lots of fun. We saw the final and oh man, the amount of news that just came off. It's good. It's a good, it's a good day to be a soccer fan. Let's just say that. Oh, that's right, Eric. Well, for the soccer fans, as always, we have a big show for you guys today. Champions League is officially over. So for the soccer fans, we have a big guest joining us. He's a former manager for the Montreal Impact for the Palmeiras U15s. He was a former assistant with LAFC with Bob Bradley, one of Christian's favorite head coaches. He's the current head coach of the Vancouver Whitecaps. We got the one and only coach Mark Dos Santos joining us in a little bit. Really excited to have Coach Dos Santos on with us. And for the soccer fans, oh, so much soccer news to get into. It has been a crazy past two weeks with, I feel like the coaches have taken over the transfer news as of lately. It's actually been more interesting than the players. But since we last recorded, oh man, uh, Zinedine Zidane is officially leaving Real Madrid. That is official. Carlo Ancelotti, the new head coach of Real Madrid, he was just announced today. Hansi Flick officially is out of Bayern Munich, officially with, with the German national team. Andrea Pillo being sacked from Juve. I'm not sure if Eric is, is happy about that, but we officially have Massimiliano Allegri back in Juventus. Our boy Antonio Conte is officially out of Inter Milan. On the player side, oh man, more stuff to get into. Sergio Aguero to Barcelona. Again, official. David Alaba to Real Madrid. Which Naldum from Liverpool to FC Barcelona. That is official as well. Eric, anything else I missed? I mean, sheesh, I'm out of breath, but anything... <laughs> Oh, man, we got Copa America moving from from Argentina to Brazil. You know, I don't know how the Argentines are feeling about that. We have Harry Kane, who's rumored to be leaving Spurs. I don't know about that, but that sounds dangerous for any team he may join. You know, we have Thomas Tuchel, who had a fat, nice little payday for himself. You know, got a contract extension until 2024. 
And as far as I know, I'm pretty sure that's it. Uh, Thomas Tuchel definitely got a nice little bonus. And he uh, something tells me he's going to be the Chelsea head coach for a few more years to come. So I'm sure he's excited. He's still popping champagne. But fellas, oh, man, what a Champions League final. I mean, we've been talking about the Champions League for the past months. So I'm just glad it, we had a good final to get it over with. Chelsea versus Man City. Chelsea taking it 1-0 with a goal by Kai Havertz. I got to get your takes on what you guys thought of the final. I mean, I feel like this final had a little bit of everything. I would have liked to see a little bit more goals. Eric, I'll start off with you, man. What do you think on the final? Were you excited? Do you feel we had a good final for you? I know you I know you had mentioned previously, like, oh, it might have been an FA Cup final. But did it disappoint? What did you feel about it? Oh, man. Contrary to many belief, I thought this was an FA Cup final. You know, we only had a goal margin of one to zero. You know, props to Chelsea. They they had a you know they they had a strategy and they stuck to their guns. You know, they played fantastic defensively. You know, uh, it's a shame because uh, I think this Chelsea side. I didn't think I would be saying this at this point in the year. First and foremost, congrats. Secondly, this Chelsea side is terrifying. I'm scared for next season for any of the Premier League teams because if you add a competent striker, because I'm sorry, during the whole game I kept saying if Werner has the ball, he's not scoring. And what happened? Werner was awful the entire game uh, listen i'm sorry for the guy uh you know he was fantastic for leipzig but every time he had the ball he just missed chance after chance he played awful uh I'm, i hope he's not listening to this because this is going to ruin his confidence but i'm terribly sorry look chelsea if you find yourself a gifted striker like i don't know hmm, a harry kane a lukaku a Haaland, maybe chelsea you look terrifying now let's get to man city man city I, I said it. I've been saying this for the last last year, last half year. Fraudiola. As uh, simple as that. Fraudiola. What did I say last episode? He's going to overthink things. And what happened? He overthought things in the biggest game of his career. Can he win it outside of Barcelona? Listen, I have no idea. I don't believe so. About two years ago, Yaya Torres' agent told us that he had African shamans, uh, you know, put a little curse on him that he won't ever win the UCL ever again. And I don't know. I think that curse is coming to fruition because City, listen, you got unlucky with that beautiful through ball. But listen, you guys were just not capitalizing on your chances. And honestly, Tuku just, he outsmarted Guardiola. That's 3-0. 3-0. GG, Tuku. You probably are one of the... Easily, Tuchel, at this point in time, he enters into any top three coach discussion in the world. Not a doubt in my mind. Yeah, I think especially, uh, you know, after uh, coming in from Frank Lampard to the whole 180 that he did with the team. Unbelievable. Christian, let me get your take real quick. What you think of the final? Did it disappoint? Did you want more goals? Uh, let us know what you thought, man. <laughs> I, I like to say it was an entertaining one. I know it was a lot of strategy, a lot of tactical uh, formations. I definitely was surprised by the lineup. I think we were getting food at the supermarket so we can start grilling it on the game. And then I asked Eric to show me the lineup. And then I see Sterling. I'm like, oh, man, where, what, what happened? What, where, what, where did all this come from? And I, I don't mean that in a bad way because Sterling is a great player. It's just that he hasn't even been playing in the knockout stages. And then I didn't notice until like later in the game that City was playing without a holding midfielder. And that's the funniest thing. What did we talk about last episode? What's the biggest question? Are we going to play Fernandinho? Are we going to play Rodri? <laughs> None of them play. <laughs> And, well, Fernandinho played later in the game. But, yeah, the, the, I think Guardiola definitely wanted to be aggressive. I, you know, I think there's a lot of drama 
saying that Guardiola completely disregard everything that Chelsea can do offensively. Uh, but I think that was an entertaining half. Both teams had great chances. I had to re-watch the game so I can see moment by moment. And both teams had great chances. I, I think you got to praise Chelsea defensively. You have players like Rudiger, players like Shilwell, players like Aspilicueta. It's lighting in the last second to get rid of any chances. And that's, I think, one of the differences that Chelsea had on City. Chelsea just wanted it more. They were on and on top of every single player. They couldn't find a way through in the first half. And in the second half, they did the same. But it was just a little bit more closer to Chelsea's goal. That's the only difference. But the thing is that Guardiola couldn't get through. There's a reason why they couldn't. Uh, they only have one shot on target. It's because defensively, they were just so compact. And I think they've been doing that since Tuchel came over. And they just intensified it in the final. I think mentally, they were more ready. There were some uh, things that I didn't like to see. Like Riyad Mahrez had sometimes was walking on the field. And then uh, certain players were just not physically ready to compete against the Angolo Cantes, against the Mason Mounts, against the Jorginhos. She just seemed to go over and over after each ball. And they weren't getting tired. So, uh, but at the end of the day, I think he did try to fix it on the second half. Unfortunately, Jesus, you know, I think he did some things well. Uh, Aguero barely touched the ball. I think he only had one chance and he, he crossed it over. But that was pretty much it. And, and, and I think they ran out of ideas at the end. Is it a problem that they were here for the first time? I don't know. I'm not going to ask you guys because they, they did seem nervous at the beginning. One of the problems that I saw is that technically, they were missing passes and they weren't just because Chelsea was pressuring them. It's just that they, they look nervous. They look scared. So I think psychologically being at this stage, it affected them a little bit. And I, I just wish it, it didn't because I think you should have been ready from the first like Chelsea did. Yeah, 100% Christian. I mean, as for me, I got to say, I'm going to give all the credit to the back three, you know, Rudiger, Thiago Silva, Aspilicueta as well as the midfield as well. You had Jorginho, you had Chilwell, you had Kante all over the place, uh, Reese James. I mean, obviously this game was one in the midfield and I want to say the defense had a huge part of it. Like you said, Man City had their chances. Both teams had their chances, but I want to say like, you know, that Mason Mount pass to Kai Havertz, unbelievable. You know, Chilwell, I, I, oh, I, he was one player that stood out to me as well. Conte as well, you know, and again, Thomas Tuchel hyping up the crowd. I absolutely loved it. Like, i never seen Thomas Tuchel so hyped, like, you know, but to me, it was just overall a, a really good final from, from my end. I would have loved to see, obviously, more goals. Uh, again, Pulisic could have made it 2-0 in the 72nd, I want to say, but I want to say Man City had their chances. And like you, and like you guys said, you know, Sebastian North hit it, hit it well on, on the nail on, on the last episode. He was, he was talking about Fernandinho or, or Rodri and he, and he was, and Pep Guardiola, it, I don't know if he just picked a bad game to just experiment or I, I don't know, man, but this Man City team did not look like themselves in this, in this final, oh man. But so, I mean, you know, Thomas Tuchel, again, we've been giving him all the praise these past few episodes. What a heck of a coach, very well-deserved. I know our friend Chelsea is still popping champagne somewhere over there in upstate New York. Uh, to all the Chelsea fans, congrats. Very well-deserved. I've been so excited. I think, you know, Chelsea's been onto something for quite some time. I just think they needed the pieces to connect well, and I think they found the coach to connect them. So 
uh, from my end. I thought it was a good final. And just for you guys as a quick question, what do you guys think on Chelsea for the upcoming season? Do you still, like Eric said, do you guys think they're still going to be a threat for the upcoming season? The scary thing is that they have a couple slots, you know, to, to make transfers and all that. They have, they still haven't made any transfers. They, they have a possibility to get even better. So I'm, I don't know, Eric, just real quick, before we go to Mark Dos Santos, just like, you know, what do you think on the upcoming season? Who do you think they could possibly get? You know, could you see a Harry Kane evolving into, into Chelsea? Listen, um, I think Chelsea have all the potential to win the league. I think they have the potential to win the treble. The only thing stopping them is a 23-year-old German named Werner because, uh, quite honestly, he just can't He can't, He can't. can't find his finishing. He just can't finish. Uh, he can't score a goal to save his life. I, I'm sorry for the guy. I feel bad for him. Maybe he needs to go back to Bundes, go to Leipzig, go to you know Dortmund. But um, quite honestly, if Chelsea find a striker that just knows how to score really, really well, like a Lukaku, like a Haaland, like a Harry Kane, uh, I was telling Christian just earlier, you know, the, the smartest choice in my opinion definitely has to be Harry Kane. He has that Premier League experience. He's not too old. He's not too young. He's right in his prime. That would be a fantastic investment right there. Uh, Lukaku as well. Obviously, he left Chelsea for a reason, but you know that reason is no longer there in Jose Mourinho. You know, uh, Inter right now are currently selling. Why not bring back Lukaku? Lukaku will definitely get you your goals after an MVP season for the Serie A champions. And as long as they get a striker, I, I see this team competing for many trophies. They're fantastic defensively. I'm sure Tuchel will get a couple um, of his boys in. I, I, I'm reading transfer rumors about him potentially bringing in a Nicolas Sule. Um, you know, a lot of the German, a lot of players from the German league to um, recruit into his team. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I, I have um, I'm really excited for this Chelsea side. Yeah, no, I think I like what Eric said, especially they're a young team, right? Then Chelsea has a lot to compete for. Compare it to the team that Di Matteo had and where he had like an awful season right after he won it. I think this 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 is a different team and this is a different coach, someone who has a structure, someone who has a plan and the team just can, can only get better. I It feels bad to talk about Werner, but yeah, I don't know if it's going to happen something like with uh, Mo Salah, where he was playing with Chelsea and then he got, you know, he essentially became one of the best strikers in the world. But he definitely needs composure. I think he is really good at positioning himself for those chances. But it just seems like uh, confidence, something that needs to be, you know, improved over time. And hopefully he does it with Tuchel. Um, But yeah, if they add another striker, uh, I think they can be really scary and they can go for a, for a, for a repeat of this Champions League. And 100%. And let's not forget, we also have the UEFA Super Cup coming up in August. It'll be Villarreal, the winners of the Europa League versus uh, Chelsea. So that might be another trophy for Thomas Tuchel right there. And uh, just before we get to Marco Santos, I will say Thomas Tuchel being a fantastic coach. Let's see what we what he could do with uh, Timo Werner during the offseason. Maybe, you know, develop him. Timo Werner probably hasn't had much time with with Tuchel in regards to, you know, the, an entire season. So why not give Tuchel the time during the offseason to see how he could develop him? You know, we've had coaches on the show saying, you know, the offseasons where, you know, the, the training is done, the hard work is put in. So let's see how much more more of a well-oiled machine uh, Tuchel can make Chelsea. So, all right, fellas, let's get to our a special guest. He is the current head coach of the Vancouver Whitecaps, uh, former assistant for LAFC with Christian's Bob Bradley former Palmeiras U15 head coach. Uh, man, we're super excited to have Coach Mark Dos Santos joining us. Vancouver Whitecaps, a really underrated team in the MLS, a team that's not really talked on too much, but he's he's a great coach and we're super excited to talk to him. And uh, Coach Mark Dos Santos coming up next. Uh, let's go. 
All right, soccer fans, we have a big guest joining the show today. He is a Canadian soccer manager who was named North American Soccer League Coach of the Year 2015. He's coached for clubs such as Montreal Impact, the Ottawa Fury, Sporting Kansas, LAFC. We simply know him as the head coach for the Vancouver Whitecaps. It's a true pleasure to have him on with us. Let's please give a warm welcome to Ms. Coach Mark Dos Santos. Olé, 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 olé. <laughs> Coach, Coach <laughs> Thank you so much, Coach, for being on with us. A true pleasure. Thank you so much for being on with us, Coach. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here, <laughs> honestly. Coach, first things first, this is a question from all of us. How are you? How was your offseason? We hope you had a chance to reset a little bit. And, you know, just from all of us, um, just how was everything in preseason? And we see you're off to a good start with a great win in Portland and a, and a good game in, against Toronto. Just how are you overall? I'm uh, look the preseason we're doing well uh, of course that personally is not always easy for me because I'm here and my family had to stay in in Vancouver uh, and we're going to be here for for a good portion of time but I say this to to all the the young coaches that are studying to become a coach I, I tell them don't 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 you don't want to be a coach if you want to be a coach make sure you don't get married <laughs> Because there's a lot of distance um, and that that makes it hard, you know, a lot of time alone. And that's that part is the difficult one now. Uh, but um, the preseason was very long. We were always waiting on the MLS. You know, it was hard to be home and not knowing when we would start and we would hear end of February, end of March, uh, April. So like uh, all of you guys, like the fans, it was the same with us. Then how the world made, uh, how COVID made the world change, it impacted a lot our visa process of the new players. So many of our players are uh, just arrived. Uh, some of them, new signings, just arrived 10 days ago to start training with the team. Ali Adnan, that is, was our player last year, still doesn't have his visa, didn't do one session with us here in Salt Lake. So the, the challenge was in the month of March, not having a roster in preseason. A lot of guys were in, uh, we were the, the club with more players uh, at the Olympic qualifier with Canada. Then we had players with the first team for the World Cup qualifier with Canada. So it was really hard to coach the group but when we arrived in Salt Lake, we, we closed the group and we, we worked only one game at a time, like if we were in the final of the MLS. Our first final was against Portland. Our second final was against Toronto. And now we're going to play our third final in, uh, on Sunday against Colorado. 100% coach. I'm so glad you mentioned just a quick thing on last season because it was such a crazy season for fans all over the world. You know, no, no fans in the stadiums. Of course, Vancouver being one of the three Canadian teams playing in the U.S., all their home games. Yeah. I just wanted to ask you, you know, last season, how much of a, you know, how much of a toll on the players mentally, physically with last year playing in the middle of a pandemic? We even saw coach, I believe, uh, Thierry Henry, leaving his post at the Montreal Impact because it was just so hard to be away from family. How did you keep the players upbeat? How did they keep their, their morale high? You know, it, it's hard because the, the regular fan 
Uh, I hear that a lot. No, it's their job. Some people don't have job. Uh, they they make a salary. They have to go and they shouldn't cry about it. I, I understand that. I understand that point. But there's the reality is that there's more feelings than only a, 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 a job. And there's things involved. And sometimes there's kids involved. I think where we're lucky as a club is that we have a very young group. And uh, the young players that don't have kids or don't have a wife, they don't really care where they play. Uh, they just go and they play. And I think you have much more challenges if you have an older team and there's a lot of wives and a lot of kids and then it takes a toll. But what I have to tell you is that with time in Portland last year, it started to become difficult because the amount of time outside of our city was long. And when you play in cities where they have fans and the, the teams where you play against who you play, they go back to their homes. They go sleep in their homes and you always go back to an hotel and it lasts for weeks and for months. That with time becomes more and more difficult. It's not easy, but it really develops, at least I feel that it really develops a mental strength that is different and a resilience in us and a resilience in our players, a resilience in our family that they get used to it. I don't know if it's a good thing, but they get used to it, right? So, so look, that's, uh, that's how we felt last year. Thank you, Coach. Thank you. Uh, I'm actually curious, you know, as a coach, obviously, and the team as well, they travel to all these places around, you know, around the, the, the whole United States. And, you know, when people think of Canada, you know, some of the things they quickly think of is like, you know, hockey or like, you know, Canadian bacon or something like that. You know, yeah. do you mind telling our viewers, you know, it's how good the, the Canadian bacon. Like <laughs> it's good the Canadian bacon. <laughs> Can you tell our viewers how the soccer culture is like in Vancouver? You know, a lot of agents came to visit us, to visit our facility and uh, from big countries, from Italy, from Spain, from, from Brazil. And when they arrive in our training facility, they go, wow, in Europe, you only see the bigger clubs with that. The Vancouver Whitecaps as an organization has everything of a Champions League team in Europe. Now, what we don't have of a Champions League team is we don't have all the quality, of course, of a Champions League roster, and we don't have the history of a Champions League team or even uh, the history of a team. I'm just going to pick a team of Nacional in Montevideo is much richer their history than the Whitecaps because they have a hundred years of history or a team like a small team in Brazil or a smaller club like Ponte Preta has much more history than the Whitecaps. But the structure of the Whitecaps, how the club works, how everything is done in the day-to-day, -day, every player that arrives here from South America or Europe is incredibly impressed. And it's not only with the Whitecaps. I think you start to see that more and more in MLS, I don't know if you had the chance to visit the training facility of a club like Atlanta United or Toronto FC or Montreal. It's getting more and more impressive. And um, what we don't have in MLS or in teams in Canada is the history. Of course, when we talk of Canada and you talk 
about hockey. Uh, Canada is the Brazil of hockey, right? Canada, the kids play minus 30 and they play in small ices that are formed 2v2 and, uh, and things like that. And it becomes, if for sure, it's by far the number one sport, but it's also a sport that has a lot of years of history. What we need in Canada is to keep growing with the years. And we, keep, we have to have Vancouver being a club of 100 years of history. And the clubs in Canada are still... Uh, are still little babies, I would say, when it comes to the world. But the structure, the training facility, how we treat players is uh, Champions League level, in my opinion. And sort of extending a little bit on the idea of, of the league development and sort of taking things and learning things from leagues, you've coached in a lot of leagues in, in your time. Obviously, you coached in Brazil. And I saw, you know, you mentioned a couple of weeks ago, you made the decision not to go up to the MLS with the impact you went then down to Brazil. And then now you're obviously coaching in the MLS again. Is there something you take away as a coach from the individual leagues when you're coaching there is, you know, is, is there something special about maybe uh, coaching in Brazil and in Canada? Yeah. Are there little things you take away and then try to put into your coaching mentality it, later it's on? It's a look, it's a great question because I, I learned a lot in my first year in the MLS. I learned a lot on what the league was about when it comes to rhythm of play and what type what type of rhythm you needed to succeed in this league. And I think I made a lot of mistakes then because I, I'm now in a position to say that I learned. So there's no doubt that when you coach in a league, it helps you understand that league but it also helps you understand the environment you're in. Every league is different. And I, I, we could speak hours and hours about that. Uh, the USL, of course, is a league where the, the salary cap for the team is, very, is lower, is lower. So you have to do an incredible, you have to be very good in the USL and the NASL in recruiting. That has to be very, very important because you pay you pay cash for the mistakes due to the to the financial ability of every club. You know, um, if you go in the the USL or an ASL and give a eighty thousand dollars salary to a player, you better not miss in that player because recruiting is very important because of that. Brazil was totally different. Brazil, what I realized is very little motivation you need as a coach. You don't need to be rah-rah because they're so motivated already due to the competition. I think that's what I it impacted me the most. I remember talking with a young player in, in Palmeiras that he, I wanted to give him a day off. And I give I spoke about this in a lot of podcasts before. Not a podcast with your quality, let me tell you, but in others, but... I said, thank you. <laughs> uh, and I remember a kid coming up to me and I wanted to give him a day off because he had accumulated, I think, 15 or 14, 90 minutes in a row. And I, I gave them to the to the performance department and he said, no, I doesn't. I don't want the day off. And I thought he was joking. And then his tone became very, very serious. And he said, no, every every session I miss here. I give an opportunity to 1 million kids that want my place. So the comp the competition level in a country like that is so, so high that 
I learned about a very different culture, but it's hard to copy paste that in North America. In Canada, I think uh, the experience I lived at Palmetus was more similar of maybe hockey in Canada due to the competition of hockey in Canada. But uh, I didn't. I never found this in soccer yet in North America, that type of uh, willingness to not lose a spot, to fight, to at the young le level, I think uh, our young players in North America have, are more comfortable and they take things more for granted than, than what I saw in, uh, in South America. Then the times I was in Europe was more related to coaching education. And uh, in coaching education, it, I think it's the top place to learn, even if there's a couple of coaches, in, in, uh, in especially in Argentina, that I'm very impressed with and really like them, like uh, Marcelo Gallardo at River Plate. I think that when it comes to coaching education, methodology of coaching, Europe has a lot to offer uh, the young coaches. That is so important that you mentioned that, uh, Coach Mark, because um, I actually wanted to bring back uh, your experience with Coach Bob Bradley, uh, yes. someone who praises you very highly, and it must have been fascinating to bounce ideas of each other. Uh, I, I you know, love, I love mm -hmm. Bob. I love Bob. <laughs> I love he, him. And I'm pretty sure he loves you too. He, uh, you know, one of the things that I wanted to know is, uh, what are some lessons? that you continue to take with you from that experience. And maybe if you can also talk to us a little bit about the role of the assistant coach and how can that person make an impact on the team like you did with LAFC? There, there, there's, two, there's two things that I take from Bob. One is I, I think that people don't cannot see that because they only see the Bob on the sidelines for the 90 minutes. But his way of including his technical staff and his stable and being close to everyone and giving them room to grow, uh, I think... Uh, Bob that does that and taking the opinion of assistant coaches. I, I think he, everybody has an ego, right? Everybody has an ego. Everybody likes to be praised. Everybody likes to, that somebody says, hey, good work. Hey, you're doing well. So I'm sure Bob has one, but he never showed it. And with me, when I was there, it was all about the team, the team, involving his assistants, asking questions. Uh, and that part, I learned so much and, and, and I wanted to make sure that I led in a similar way with the people here that I have in, in, uh, in Vancouver. Then the other thing that I take from Bob is when you believe in a certain way and you have a passion uh, towards a certain model of play, I'm not saying... Uh, that one is better than the other. When I talk model, you could talk about Man City, that is very a team that plays very close to each other, very possession-oriented, uh, strong reaction to the loss of possession. But then you have other teams that are good, like Liverpool, that are more vertical in the moments of transition. But whatever is the model that you believe in as a coach, you need to stick to it. And you, you could adjust some of the things that you're not happy with and adjust in some moments, but your line of work 
and Bob does that does that well. You know, there's a belief, and I think you see it from the style of play of LA. It doesn't show all the time because sometimes due to injuries, uh, the team could change, and it's normal. You know, when when you're LAFC and Diego Rossi or Vela are not on the field, it, it actually, you know, it's not this. You can't say that everything stays the same because these are two important players, but there's a belief in in the model. And those are the two things I really liked about being with Bob. I, you know, in 2017, when I when when the NSL ended and uh, I left San Francisco because they folded, I hesitated a lot in what I would do next, uh, but I don't regret once one second that I went to LAFC to to spend that year there. And, and that's truly amazing because uh, what they did the following year with that base that you created, getting the first place supporter shield, it, it just continues to show uh, the impact that you had there. And another way to make an impact, I believe, is uh, core values. And I wanted to ask you, what are some of the core values that uh, you want your players to identify, to identify you? And if you can give us an example of its importance, whether it's on a training field or, or in a specific game. I'll give you a, a, just one example. We have four pillars that are written in our wall and uh, that we look at, at, it, at them every day, okay? And um, every time we think about those pillars, we think about do we recruit according to those pillars? Do we play according to those pillars? Do we live the day-to-day in our club according to that? And one of the things I noticed in the club is that everybody has an importance. We don't treat anybody bigger, being bigger than, than anybody else. You know, uh, the people that are here with me in the media are as important as I am, or the players are as important. And that's when players feel the nutritionist is important, performance is important. And when players feel that there's nobody above anybody, uh, it's, uh, it's already a core value that you feel in the locker room that everybody has to work towards the same direction. But one of the, the, one of the, those words that sticks a lot with me is intensity. So what I mean by that is if we talk a lot of being a, about a team with intensity, we cannot sign a player here that is not, that doesn't have intensity. You know, I'll give you an example of uh, when we recruit, sometimes we look at players that are incredibly gifted on the ball. But then when the team loses possession, we see that player walk, that player not reacting. That goes against our core value and the quality he has with the ball cannot be above what we want to be as a club. But then it's important that my coaching staff in training, we coach with intensity. And we're not there very lazy going about training. Or if I sit the 90 minutes on the, 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 on the bench and I never get up, you know? No, everything we do from the sidelines to the game has to reflect in that intensity. And that's an example of a core value that I'm giving you. Thank you so much for that. Coach, thank you so much for your insight. And I'm curious, you know, you know coming from the MLS and more importantly, from the Vancouver Whitecaps youth ranks, What do you think it means for a player like Alphonse Davies to jump to another country and, you know, succeeding at competing at the highest level? 
you know what's uh, what's funny is that look i come from i i'm i'm i grew up in the little italy of uh, montreal and um, very european my parents portuguese then at the age of 10 i left to live in portugal so you could imagine the the household people friends would come to my house and say hey uh my uh or you, is your your parents mad at you they everybody's yelling no no it's normal don't worry you know so i still have uh, during some years i had these these portuguese or italian friends at the cafe saying you know there's no player in canada canada's not good enough for the us what did they do in soccer and we were the Europeans and South Americans too, huh? South Americans too. So especially my friends, agents in Brazil, they snob North America because come on, you guys play hockey. And if I would tell my uncle or agents that I knew 10 years ago, that one of the best left backs in the world would come out of Vancouver or whatever club in Canada, from Canada and win Champions League playing, not in the stands, not on the bench, playing for Bayern Munich, 10 years ago, people would say, you're absolutely crazy. It's like if one of the best wingers in the NHL comes from Brazil. You know, maybe that's going to happen, but it's so hard, the odds. The thing is that soccer has evolved in North America. And you see more and more that a good player could come from anywhere in the world. As long as the, as the sport is evolving in their country. And yes, to see, to see Afonso Davis going from refugee to our academy, growing in our club and to go to Bayern Munich, to play in Bayern. Because one thing is to go there, right, guys? One thing is to get a con, then you're in the, you're in the roster, you're in the stands. You, another thing is to go and to start. It's very hard what Fonzie is doing at Bayern Munich. And I hope people don't just take it for granted. But then you see a Dest that is playing for Barcelona. A Jonathan David, that it's an agent that took him because he had a lot of belief in him brings him to to Belgium on a tryout and now he's one of the most important forwards of the league one in France and his team is in first place so I think we have to grow up all of us uh, we have to understand if our background is uh, Portuguese Italian Brazilian or Argentinian that man things change with time and uh, soccer involves in every country and I'm very careful when somebody tells me, I ask the agent, I ask an agent, uh, but where's the player from? Wherever country tells me, I look at the player because you never know where a good player could be. And talking about academies, I am fortunate enough to work uh, for academy in Queens here in New York. And I, I guess what I really wanted to ask you is... Queens is where... We uh, Queens is uh -huh. where the Prince of New York went, right? <laughs> when he went so to I'm, so every <laughs> time I think Queens, I think the movie. Of <laughs> <laughs> Eddie Murphy. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah I, we have Queens and we also have some talented soccer players as well. <laughs> no doubt. To, 
<laughs> I wanted to I wanted to ask you how uh, you know what is what are some things that academies should continue doing to continue developing talent like Alfonso Davies, like Serginio Des, and the other talents that are playing in Europe right now. I think one of the things is uh, things that should happen in the in Canada or in the or the U.S. have to have it happen more, in my opinion, actually outside the academies outside the academies our kids only get coached in an organized environment that's my opinion and we have to have them in disorganized environments too and when i was my last scouting trip was in the end of 2019 because i couldn't go anywhere at the end of uh, uh, during 2020 because of covid and i remember driving in buenos aires incredible city by the way maybe they could sponsor me fly to buenos aires what a city what a city but driving in buenos aires i saw kids playing everywhere 2v2 3v3 in small spaces in big parks and what we don't have enough in canada in the us is when we drive we don't see that enough So the kids only are coached in an organized environment. And that's very difficult to change right now. So I think the academies of the MLS clubs have helped a lot the young players grow because before their environment was only amateur youth clubs and college. And now they spend more hours in, uh, in, in club academy with coaching, with development. But unfortunately, if you look at the, the, the countries that are in the best in their sport, in the province of Quebec in the winter, when it's minus 30 and you drive, you still see ice rinks with light and kids playing hockey. We don't have that in soccer. And we need to, to have that. So I don't know if it's an idea for clubs to sometimes organize disorganized events where the kid is only able to express himself and dribble a guy without the coach telling him what to do. Mega guy, even if you're a center back, try to make the forward, you know, express yourself to become, because there's an idea that a player comes to a club, you develop, and then he becomes a player. And it's not true. It's not true. That happens with pizza that I bring the dough, right? You work the dough, the, the, the cheese, the olive oil, and you cook it. A player is not like that. So I'll give you an example. When Neymar arrived at Santos, you know that he arrived at the age of 12 years old already. He arrived there because he was killing everybody in the beach. He was killing everybody in the parks of futsal. And then they said, wow, who's this kid? And that's when he went to Santos. So there's this idea of us taking a young player that has zero ability and we develop him to go to Bayern Munich. It doesn't exist. Kids already have to have a base that comes from this disorganized uh, soccer. And I, I really believe you when you tell me that there's good players in Queens because Maybe they don't have all the ability for PlayStation and let me go there and daddy has this for me and I'm going there. No, they get bored more easily. Some, unfortunately, get into crime. 
but others, they go play 3v3 with friends. But that moment of 3v3, 4v4, it's the base when you go to a club. We don't have enough of that in North America, unfortunately. But again, don't take it as an absolute. It's my opinion based on experiences that I saw in the world. Well, hopefully we can get you on a scouting trip in New York City sometime. I think, you know, you, you... I, 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 guys, I have no doubt that I could imagine the Italian neighbor, the Portuguese neighbor, the uh, Latino neighbor. I'm sure that there is because I saw more of that in Montreal, to be honest, because maybe Montreal is more similar to 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 New York. Uh, but for sure, I think it's something that we miss in our country. And I guess changing lines a little bit, my my next question is a little bit more about the identity of the Whitecaps in that when, you know, you have a neutral MLS fan, maybe sort of an East Coast fan who is not a huge West Coast conference, you know, like involved in 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 the sort of playing style. If you ask them to name a couple of teams in, in the West Coast Conference, a lot of times they might sort of like not, like they might overlook Vancouver as one of the big teams. And I sort of wanted to ask you, is it a little bit difficult taking, uh, you know, when you came into the job in Vancouver, having to really develop the identity of the club to be one of those teams that like, you know, everyone thinks of? Because maybe it has to do a little bit with the fans as well as the players, but is it hard to sort of break the identity of a, a smaller club, a club that you mentioned, you know, you, like it's difficult when you don't have history as a, like a, a league, but especially when you have Western conference teams like the LA galaxy who have yeah. you know, the most history in a, in a league that doesn't have a lot of history. Is it hard to try to break that stereotype? And is it, you know, what is the, the, the identity, the sort of culture, the way of the like the bright lined way of fixing that that you guys are going for it's uh you you guys prepared well for this podcast man all smart <laughs> questions we had to we had to but, i got i but, got i got stuck with the one question that might be the the that might be the sticking point so i i, I had to prepare that wording really well <laughs> no it's re it's really good of course that uh you have to arrive when I arrived in Vancouver, I was it was very clear with the owners where where we would go and the amount of work that we had to do. So a lot of that work was some when you rebuild something is some some dirty work, you know, because you have to release some guys. You have to think about the next player in the medium long term and you rebuilding is is harder than expansion, in my opinion, because expansion, you have a, a clean sheet. Rebuild, it's not totally a clean sheet and you have to go from there. But for sure, for us, when we talk in the locker room and uh, we talk about uh, me and Axel, about what type of club we want to be, it's very clear for us. And we want to be a club that the teams that play us know how hard it's going to be to play us every day. Uh, we understand that we're not going to be a, a Barcelona type of playing. 
but we could be a Atletico Madrid type of playing when it comes to identity and how difficult it is to break us and difficult to play against us. That's that's the identity we want to give to the club. We also want to give an identity that every time you wear the the, the white caps jersey and if any player wears the white cap jerseys. It needs to be a player that is uh, of a very high intensity type of level player. So then that creates a, a domino effect in the team. You know, there's no cheating, a team that everybody working for each other. Uh, that's the type of identity and the type of team that we we want teams in the East. When they think about us, they think about that um, and that's what we're where we're trying to bring the club and how we we want to build the club. So much insight, coach. I, I'm so thankful for everything. Uh, I think one of my concluding questions would be, you know, you spoke previously about MLS evolving, about Vancouver, you know, evolving, getting better. Do you think MLS is closer to finally winning uh, CONCACAF Champions League? I, I just feel that in the big game still, the Mexican teams are just show up when they have to in that moment. And uh, I think exactly, and you guys didn't tell me what you think, but every fan that has been seen, that has been watching CONCACAF, sees getting closer and closer to the level. We had years ago, MLS teams had no chance against Mexican teams. Like the difference was so big. And now every time it goes to a game, there's a game. There's always a game. So it shows how closer it's getting. I do believe that that day's going to come very soon where in the final, um, the MLS team is going to win if they're in the final. I think that if you watch the final against, against uh, with LAFC last year, Carlos Vela in a normal situation, Nine out of 10 of that chance he had, he scores. And at that day, he didn't score. And instead of 1-0, it would have been 2-0. I think game over. LAFC would have won. And then at the end, Tigres ties it and wins 2-1. And then you see Tigres going up and, and, and knocking out Palmeiras, playing very well. A very solid game against, Bo- against Bayern. So... It shows how much the MLS is growing. Uh, but I, what's hard for me to see is how we will respond still when the fans are going to come back. Because in Mexico, you do play against 12. And it's not just a nice thing of saying it. it it's loud. It shakes the stadium. I've been in, uh, remember, with Montreal being in uh, in Torreon to play Santos Laguna. And uh, I I thought there was a earthquake, but no, it was the stands and the fans. So you still have that that is a little bit noisier than, uh, than in North America or in the MLS. Uh, they know how to provoke or to get a foul from the ref. Uh, they just know how to do that, but we're getting closer, you know, and... Uh, I don't want this to be a, a war, kind of a war, Canada and the U.S. against Mexico. No, because Mexicans is a fantastic people with great history that I love. But uh, in MLS, sometimes it looks like MLS against Mexico. I don't think it's that. 
but for sure it's getting closer and for sure that um that it's coming the day very soon that uh, an MLS club is going to win the, the Champions League. Who knows if it's not this year? Wow, Coach. Uh, I, I believe we're out of time, but we want to say thank you so much for as- answering all our questions. We will be rooting you on, you know, from New York, and we believe Vancouver is in great hands with you. Thank you so much for your time, Coach. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank, thank you, you, Coach. Go Whitecaps and go Palmeiras. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> thank you, Coach. Thank you, Coach. Take care. Take care. Stay in thank- touch. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. All right, guys. That was the interview with Coach Mark Dos Santos from the Vancouver Whitecaps. Christian, as always, what you think, man? What you think of uh, Coach? I don't want to sound repetitive, but li- please, guys, listen to this over and over, minute after minute. You're learning something from him. And I think one of the biggest one that impacted me, his insight on uh, developing players, but they're like on the streets. You know, they're, we got to continue to foster that, engage people, engage kids to continue just playing in the streets like we do in South America. I remember when I was younger, we play with two rocks on the side and, you know, just kicking a ball or just a, a, a can, aluminum can. And, and, you know, we just got to see more of that in the U.S. And I think uh, the tally just continues to grow. So I do appreciate him for mentioning that. 100%. Yeah. Coach Marto Santos hit on a couple of good points. And yeah, it all starts at the youth. And obviously, he came from Brazil from the U15. So, uh, Coach Marto Santos, thank you so much. Before we get out of here, Eric, I'll let you say peace out before uh, yeah, we get out of here. Oh, everyone, thanks for listening. I'm, uh, I'm sorry for all you Werner and Chelsea fans. Um, sorry for the, all you Guardiola. You know, I'm sorry he's a fraud, you know. But, uh, you know, thanks for listening. I, I would say what Hugh normally says, but um, that's kind of his trademark, you know. I don't want him to come back mad at me, but you know, thanks for listening guys. Follow us everywhere on our platform. We're available on YouTube, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Sorry, Hugh. And Christian, I'll let you have the one of the last words. Oh, no. Thank you so much to everyone. All the people were there, that were there in the final. Uh, lo- we love to thank the Friendly Foes FC podcast 433 from Singapore. Everyone who joins, who makes this just this community just much better. Thank you guys. And I can't wait to be here for episode 27. And as for me, Coach Marto Santos, thank you so much for joining us. A huge thank you to all the soccer fans who have been really engaging. We had our first Instagram Live the other day. Uh, shout out to Friendly Foes FC. Shout out to Sebastian North and the last podcast again for joining us from the last episode. A very successful episode. Uh, we're really excited of all the feedback we got from the fans. Definitely keep it up. Let us know your takes, your thoughts. And don't forget to send us an email, Podcast at Gmail. And our Instagram, Soccer Sales Podcast on Instagram. We will be back next week with episode 27. We are nearing the Copa America. We're super excited about that. Like Eric said, it's going to be held in Brazil. That's another topic. How, how did we even get to Brazil? I don't, I'm thinking Argentina and Brazil are slightly the same with COVID, but who knows? Uh, I'm sure, you know, these decisions are made by the by the higher ups, but. Yeah, we're super excited for that. Let's see if Argentina can make some noise. Ecuador can make some noise. I believe Colombia is not going to have Hamas, so that's going to be interesting. But let's see how that goes. But anyway, fellas, we'll be back for episode 27 and then the upcoming episodes for Copa America. And yeah, I'm Ronnie from the Soccer Podcast, and we'll see you guys next week for episode 27. Have a good one, guys.